Yeah, cool. Mm. Yo, Yo what's Lance. Up, Dan? What's up, man? How you <laughs> doing, doing, brother? Good, good, good. Uh, it's yeah. good to see your beautiful face. Oh, you as well, sir. You as well. I'm so, liking your background going on. You got, what is that painting of? That, oh, so that this brown thing is painting. Awesome. Um, I don't necessarily know how legal this is. Um, and it's sort <laughs> nice. of really, it's a really, it's sort of a messed up story as well. Like on, on the flip side of it. Um, so I don't really know if I want to go into too much detail, like <laughs> on the internet. Um, well, I will then say, we don't have to. I will say this about this painting. It is um, an image of a um, drawing from Laos and it was uh, recreated um, during like the secret war uh, in Laos during Vietnam when we bombed the heck out of everybody in Laos. Um, uh, do you know about the secret war at all? I've heard a little bit about the secret war from my friend Oliver, which is a completely different story on a different tangent. He used to live in uh, Laos and uh, did was like one of the like people for the the party river. Did you have you heard about the party river? I I do not know about that. Well, that's what he did, and he told me okay. all about Laos. He was obsessed with it. Yeah, so um, like the main gist of it is we, the CIA uh, held a secret war in Laos in order to prevent the spread of communism. Um, and uh, so it lasted, it was really long. Um, it was from like 1959 to 1975. And during that time, we dropped over 270 million bombs on Laos. Wait, that doesn't uh, even seem possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so a bomb. Can a bomb be considered like just a small grenade or something or a pipe no, so bomb? So a lot of them were like the small cluster bombs, which would hit, and then it'd be like a specific, a smaller area. It wasn't like the really massive ones we were using in World War II. Um, but yeah, there were over two hundred million cluster bombs dropped or bombs dropped, and <laughs> to this day, they are still. It's something ridiculous, like the number of um, bombs that didn't explode are still in the millions. Dude, that's and, terrible. So people are like tiptoeing around and yeah. trying to figure out where they are. As a kid, you're told if you see metal in the ground, don't play with it. Um, Obama uh, led a campaign to uh, deactivate all the bombs. And so came in and said, we're really sorry about this tragedy. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the campaign. Uh, Thanks a lot, Obama. Every uh, every year they go out and they find something like a couple, you know, 10,000 bombs, something around there. And then, but there are still millions unexploded. It's going to take something at the rate they're going, like 200 years. I, I'm making up numbers at this point. It's just a lot of years before the bombs are going to be removed. Um, the most fascinating, not the most fascinating, but an interesting um little video if anybody wants to check it out a bit more and this is a really cool uh podcast idea i can bring in my buddy uh who is from laos and he can talk a lot more about it but uh anthony bourdain uh in parts your buddy's Unknown. anthony bourdain yeah my buddy's anthony bourdain uh i uh, will have to ouija board it to get him to talk uh um, r.i.p yeah but uh he has one of his episodes on uh parts unknown um is about laos and it's wild it's just he goes in and talks to some guys that still remember the tragedies that were happening um and it, what's really cool that i found about the 
the whole ex- the whole experience that happened there and just the lives that people had is the level of forgiveness. There's this like wild, like this is then and now is now. There aren't these like grudges that are held. Like you were a communist and you were for the CIA or the Americans and now we're still angry at each other. Sort of yeah. like the divide in the civil war where you would have grudges lasting four five, six. Even today you still have the grudges uh, between the union and the Confederates. I'm going to guess that has a lot to do with Buddhism. Buddhism, I also think it's it goes more into just your level of living and how if you're farming and it's you have to rely on your neighbors. And there's much more of like you go to your job and you make some money, then you have that money you can provide for your family. If it's farming and you have people that are angry at you, they just come and burn down your garden and then you're done. Like yeah. it's, I think there's a, there's much more of a mutual respect um, that comes from just knowing your neighbors a, a little bit more. And we're so far removed from that. We don't know. I'm in an apartment building. I know the people across the hall and to the left of me and then some other random scattered ones, but I don't know half the people in my building. I don't know 90% of the people in my building. Um, yeah. We need to do a, I need to come visit after COVID's over and mm-hmm. do like a meet your neighbor campaign. Yeah. That I'll bring a bag, a bag of sugar for each neighbor. I also like uh, just from my experience in uh, the South Pacific, everybody knows each other too. You know, yeah. even if it's a larger population in these small villages and the mountain villages where a lot of like the CIA recruits came from that were fighting, you know, the communist recruits. It was like, oh, my uncle's on the side of communism and uh, my other uncle's on like, you know, with the CIA. It wasn't a divide that they created, we created this divide and then it allowed them to sort of go, okay, this was in the past, this was somebody else's fight. We just happened to be in it. Um, As opposed to, you know, the civil war was North versus South. That was, you know, the South choosing to fight against the North and the North choosing to fight against the South. So. The, uh, you mean the war of uh, Northern aggression? (laughs) Dude. Oh my goodness. That actually is a crazy lead in. Um, uh, there is the uh, Sword of Truth. It's a movie with uh, Mark Maron. Uh, oh, hilarious nice. movie. Um, and it's about, it's, uh, to sum it up in the easiest way, it is this idea that like the South won the Civil War and <laughs> the guys and gals that believe in this. And so there's this Civil War sword and it's supposedly the sword that proves that the South won the Civil War. And it's just this, it's Mark Maron going through being like, what? Like, huh? This makes no <laughs> sense. Like, what are you talking about? Like, um, and yeah, just the idea of where people get there, you know, where we find our facts and our truths. And we spoke about this on the last podcast a little bit with the, you know, craziness that happened last week. Yeah, you go on a you go on a hunt for this sword. Mark Maron get finally finds the sword, and he like pulls it out. He's like the sword of truth. Yeah, and he looks he looks on the hilt, and it's uh, it says uh, made in twenty twenty QAnon. Yeah, I love the play on it too because it's sort of truth, sort of yeah. truth. You know. It's, yeah, I like yeah. that. I uh, like that. Yeah. Oh man, it's cool. It's on. I know you can watch it on. Oh, I don't remember what platform. I think I watched it on Showtime. Um, Showtime. I get free Showtime because I'm a student. Wow, that's a that's a hidden perk. They've got porn on there. I think there are way too many. It's not really (laughs) just it's just boring. Honestly, all porn is just boring. It's you're just like it really is. 
You're just like, it really why? is. We really need to move forward to VR porn to like keep people engaged because this softcore like kissing people over birthday cake stuff just isn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say is there's way too many streaming platforms, man. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Way too many. I, I'm drowning in them. I, I've like, I've got, okay. I, I'm just a Netflix boy myself. I'm old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm an old fashioned man. Dude, my problem isn't that there's too many platforms. It's that I just have too many, I have too much access to it. So, I get Spotify because yeah. I have to have Spotify. That's the one that I have to have. It's just have access to music and podcasts. And podcasts. Yeah. Uh, but the access to them is crazy. Spotify gives me Showtime and Hulu because I have a student account. I have to have Peacock because Peacock has the... Uh, oh, yeah. It's, well, the only reason I have it is for the EPL because they have a chokehold on the EPL. So most EPL games are only shown on Peacock. It's their way to build up their platform. And that's only $5.99 a month. And I only watch soccer games on it. I don't go on for anything else. I have logged in through Chelsea for Netflix. And we had HBO to watch Doctor Who, but we were like, like, why? Like, why do we have this? Yeah. So we got rid of that. We got rid of that. Why do we got it? Yeah. Yeah, HBO, (laughs) HBO is like, I've had hbo like two or three times now and canceled because after a while i'm the same way i'm like why do i have this yeah like mm-hmm. i've got like you know it's cool they've got certain movies on there and westworld is insane and if you ever want to watch true detective again that's cool mm-hmm. but it's just like at a certain point it's like there's only so much i can tolerate i need to get out into the open outdoors and experience things through my nostrils and through my oculus balls mm-hmm. I think this year was probably the the peak for streaming platforms. I uh, going oh, into this coming year my as well. God, you didn't really have an option when you were told hunker down at home. Yeah. I have a million books that I need to get through. You know, exaggerating, but I probably have around a hundred that I really need to get through. And wow. it was just easier to like. It was easier to sit down when you know the lady and I were home. Do I want to go and sit and read a book that? she hasn't read and then turn to her and go, wow, this is amazing. And she just looks at me <laughs> like, uh, what are you talking about? I'm not reading that. It's or not we can so much watch of a, movie a bonding or a TV show and we can, yeah, have yeah. a little bit of a bonding moment, which was cool and great. But now I just look at my shelf and you know, the two over the two years that I was away from all these streaming platforms, I probably knocked out around 70 books. Damn. Uh, and now I'm back to, you know, the world of entertainment and I've read four maybe. <laughs> yeah, I have, I've fell off the bandwagon hardcore with reading and then I tried to pick up a book and I like, it was weird. I couldn't, you ever read a book and you're like, what did I just read that last paragraph? Yeah. That's what was happening to me. So I did a little life hack and I got audible. So mm-hmm. now I... I listen to books like a champ and oh, I refuse yeah. to use my eyes ever again for a book. My ears are doing all the reading now, baby. Mm-hmm. I know what's the, like the three types of learners. It's the audio visual and like do it yourself. Ex- like you have to write experiential experiential. Yeah. Um, I know that it's, if I can, if my dream way to read would be having somebody read it to me as I'm reading it. Like visual and audio together, I would retain everything. 
That's exactly the same here. I'll, I, I got something on this actually a little side tangent, but if, if like, if you're, if you're looking to like make your language more colorful and more persuasive, you can start explaining things like how they sound, how they look and um, how they feel and smell and kind of like hit people on those senses. Mm -hmm. And apparently it kind of hits people in like a different part of their brain. Okay. No, it's wild. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how to read again. I also struggled now with reading books as opposed to my Kindle because I use my Kindle for so long. Uh, and I would always turn on, they have a dyslexic font and it allows me to read super fast and I don't get like turned around on words and I don't forget Whoa. what I'm reading. What is dyslexic font? So it changes the letters. So the letters like alternate just enough so that you don't confuse the letters. Like A's don't always look the same. You know, there's probably like a hundred different small variations of them, but the letters turn. And so it's not just straight up and down like you would a standard font. And so when Dude. you're reading it, you actually, it allows you to focus heavier at least it allowed me to focus heavier on uh, what I was reading. I don't know if there's any real science behind it. It could just be a placebo that it was like, Hey, dyslexic font. This is what I need. <laughs> but, <laughs> and it worked. Wait, like, are you, are you dyslexic? Uh, not diagnosed, but I can tell that I do turn things around a lot. Uh, yeah. Enough that I'll, it bothers me. And I'm like, yeah. I do that with, I do that with like entire words. I don't know if that's what dyslexia is. Uh, I don't think I have it either, but I'll like, I'll like look at words and read word. Like I'll just go through a word and I'll think it's something that it's not. It mm -hmm. doesn't happen all the time, but I'll, but it'll be like, um, I'll read a word that's, it's like perfect those. Form. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. That's a perfect one. That is a perfect one that, and that that'll happen to me. And I'll kind of like pause for a second and be like, what? And then go back. I was like, Oh, okay. So that's why that's, that's one, another reason why it takes me so long to read. It's mm -hmm. crazy. So that's why I love listening. Well, there's a, a bunch of studies that have shown that we only, when we're reading, we typically only read the first like two to three letters and the last two to three letters. Yeah. Longer words, we just sort of skip over. And because of experience and practice, we assume what word's going to come next. And we just, whoop, and that'll mess you up if you're reading anything really at all, not even creative. Uh, I'm reading these old texts from, just that are like anything. transcribed from like Arabic or Aramaic or Latin. And there's these weird, funky words that are real words, but we don't use them any longer. And so yeah. I'll be going through and just stop. <laughs> and you're like, and look at what? the word and go, I know what they're saying here, but what exactly does this word mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like something like a uh, dotard or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's weird, uh, but it's fun. Yeah. I got to get back on that read and train, but audible, I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm down. Dude, join the Audible gang. It's almost like a really long podcast that you just get to listen to. And sometimes it almost has that ASMR effect, depending mm -hmm. on who the reader is. You read it and you're like, ah, this is very nice. And mm -hmm. you get soothed. And I've been really into, uh, you know, that Japanese guy, Haruki Murakami? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, his books are insane. They kind of feel like when you're reading them, you're kind of like in a dream almost. But He's those are, I don't, yeah. but I need to. He's on my get to list. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Mind blown. But he's really good for listening to or listening or reading at nighttime because you're mm-hmm. very, it's very like soothing. You're like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I like it. Nice. Probably a good way to start your day too. Just today I'm cool. Yeah. I like to start my day with nonfiction and end my day with fiction. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the kind of rule I made for myself, even though it doesn't make much sense. No, I understand. Cause it's, I think fiction, even if you don't retain the exact details, it allows you to get the point or the story or the message or the moral. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like fun. But then if it's nonfiction, you sort of want to remember the facts. <laughs> so then you're not kind of turning nonfiction into, you know, fiction. Uh, sort of like me making up numbers with how many bombs were dropped on Laos. Uh, <laughs> As it, like, <laughs> I know that there were a lot, but I'm just spewing numbers out. Three billion one, bombs. Yeah. I think on the our last podcast, I just kept on repeating six hundred billion for some reason. Like every number was just six hundred billion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes six hundred billion is a nice number. Uh, mm-hmm. not if it's bombs. That's a that's a bad number. That's a bad. That's, that's a, a bad, bad number, number of bombs. <laughs> that's well, a bad uh, number. Yeah, well, I think it um, did to do and transition. That was real smooth. Transitioning, <laughs> transitioning. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I wanted to sort of, I had this topic in my head uh, to chat about like a week or so ago. And then the craziness of last week um, happened. And the insurrection. Yeah, the insurrection, which we'll talk about on our own or add something else later on. It's still going yeah. into insanity. The amount of stuff that's been discovered yeah. and who's participated in it is. Oh, just painful. It's wild. All I'll say about that. And then we'll move on is mm-hmm. that it is kind of screwed up my, uh, I've had a weird week f- filled with lack of sleep. I like mm-hmm. can't sleep for some reason and it's screwed me up. So thanks a lot. Terrorist. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, as we were talking about last week, just how it's the source of news and where these guys and gals are getting their information from yeah. and allowing for there to be like the supreme head that disseminates all of the information as opposed to being a collective, which yeah. news media, traditional news media should be. It shouldn't be, you know, uh, Big Brother just deciding. And it's wild to think that we're talking about how the government is hiding all of this information, but most of the information given to the, you know, the, the supporters of Trump and of that movement, it was Trump. It was Trump tweeting nonsense and just reposting things that weren't factual at all. And this, I, the idea that news has tricked us isn't new. Um, it's been part of the public sphere since the advent of speech. Um, when I was in Vanuatu, we used to call news coconut news or coconut wireless because there were lots of coconut trees around and it was just word of mouth. So something started <laughs> at the top of one island, at the top of the country at one island. By the time it got to the southern part of the island, it was the story was just large and crazy and over the top and um, always exaggerated. Some of them were fun. Some of them were really upsetting because especially if you were dealing in the health sector as I was, you would try to give out these little, this little advice. And by the time that was passed along, the advice that was given or the facts that were given were just twisted and distorted, not purposefully uh, most of the times, but were 
just turned into like a lighthearted, fun story about what was told by this white dude hanging out in the jungle. Um, <laughs> Human memory is a crazy thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's like a sieve. It, things fall through the cracks all the time, mm-hmm. especially if you're doling out medical advice and people are like, wait, so how many fingers do I stick up there? Yeah. <laughs> the, the white guy said to, you know, go and fist yourself to check mm-hmm. for cancer. Uh-huh. A little two knuckler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yes. The gate or torpedo? Ooh. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to go to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's keep going. Let's barrel ahead. Yeah, so uh, what I wanted to talk about was uh, this crazy story and this uh, myth that uh, ha- has existed, and I still think it does exist, uh, about absinthe um, and how it's been turned into this cr- – the idea of absinthe is now this over-the-top crazy – experience uh like i'll just ask you what have you heard about absinthe and what's your knowledge of it well all i've heard about absinthe i've heard a few things so one one you uh do it with a sugar cube Mm -hmm. and it's green and also you get sucked into like a psychedelic psychedelic vortex mind meld uh Mm -hmm. trip and one one more i think sherlock holmes drank it yeah, Sherlock Holmes did. Uh, he was a big absinthe drinker. So was Hemingway. Um, no way. In For Whom the Bell Tolls, uh, it's near the beginning of the book. Hemingway talks about how he has to drink his absinthe backwards because they're in a cave in the middle of the Spanish mountains. And traditionally, you would take absinthe. You would then drip just drops of absinthe over top of a sugar cube into, I'm sorry, you would pour the absinthe into a cup you would put the sugar cube on a spoon over the cup and then you drip cold water onto the sugar cube to dilute the sugar cube into the water, into the absinthe, which would dilute it because absinthe is typically, it's an overproof liquor. Um, You're looking at around 150 proof. And so you're, you want to dilute it if you're going to be drinking a decent amount of it. But yes, the hallucinogenic trip is the big, part that everybody sort of latches onto. They say, oh, we're gonna chase the green fairy. Um, is the probably the, the biggest phrase that you hear around absinthe. Uh, but that is 100% false. Oh, word? Uh, yeah, the idea that absinthe will make you trip at all, that will, it will give you a hallucinogenic experience is absolutely false. Um, so I'll start with like the science behind why it's false, and then I'll build up the mythos for why this was created, uh, why we have this idea that still exists today, why if you drink a lot of absinthe, you're going to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, the, the main ingredient, or not the main ingredient, but absinthe is a collection of a bunch of herbs that are put together. Uh, the original formula came out uh, in the middle of the... 1800s. Um, and it was then perfected by this dude in Sweden. Uh, the guy in Sweden was, uh, I don't remember his name, um, but he perfected this, this drink. And then it was given to, it became really part of the Bohemian culture at the time to the fringe culture, uh, similar to, you know, hippies and weed, basically. Uh, it was always the outcasts. Everybody said that they were doing weird, bad things. 
But the main, one of the main ingredients that they use in absinthe is wormwood. Wormwood's used in a lot of other drinks that we drink every day. So most aperitifs have it. Vermouth has it. Vermouth actually means wormwood. Um, Amaro's have it. Uh, if anybody's in the, like the Scandinavian region or wants to go there, Malort has wormwood in it. All of these like heavy, viscous, bitter drinks, most of them have wormwood in it. Uh, wormwood has this uh, chemical compound uh, known as thurjone. Thurjone is a, a neurologic stimulant uh, inhibitor. So it will stimulate you sort of like alcohol does, but then alcohol turns into a depressant when you have too much. What this does, it will trick you into blocking the stimulants, which if you have enough of it can give you like seizures or can make you like sort of start to trip or your mind will start to alter its state. The problem with this is that in order to consume enough of the third zone, you have to drink gallons of absinthe. Gallons. Done, you will die at least 20 times over because of the alcohol <laughs> then you can ever get close to you know tripping out um and the fda and all of the governments in europe now have allowed for there to still be third zone in absinthe today so the chemical compound that they were claiming back in you know the 1800s till today that would allow you to go on this hallucinogenic trip still is in absinthe today. The recipe that uh, we're using uh, today is the exact same recipe that was invented in uh, the 1800s. There's no differences. The absinthe in Europe does have a little bit more of the, the compound in it, but still nothing, not even close enough to have you feel it. You're gonna feel the high proof alcohol. It's an overproof drink. Imagine drinking like barrel proof whiskey you know, if you have a couple of those glasses, you're going to be feeling real nice. And then you're going to be feeling real bad. <laughs> so that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The, I've only had, um, I've only had absinthe once and I, uh, I'm not going to share all the details because it's kind of embarrassing, but uh, needless to say, I woke up with like a, a migraine the next day. It wasn't, I, well, I don't even want to call it a headache. It was a sharp stabbing pain in the middle of my brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to imagine that that was just by drinking a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm going to. It was. What... <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it was a dumb thing to do because I believed this uh, lie. Basically, I was yeah. like, hey, maybe I'll trip mm -hmm. a little bit. Hey, it'd be cool. But yeah. this my much, much younger years. Yeah, it. um it won't. It won't for anybody out there, for any, you know, young fella that wants to try to do something crazy. Don't do that. You're going to, you're going to die from alcohol poisoning before you feel anything. Um, that's just exactly, my, that's my fair warning. So that's, that's the science and the actual truth behind absinthe. If you want to go and have absinthe, go to a cool absinthe bar, have it prepared in the right way. It's a beautiful, cool experience. It's not just like, here's your glass. You get this crystal, um, crystal pitcher basically that drips into it. Most of the um, drip spouts have angels or fairies on them. So it's really just ornate and cool. They fill it up with ice and there's cold water. Then it drips onto this specific spoon that's used to 
uh, melt the sugar into the absinthe. It's a fun experience and it's, it's a cool way to drink um, because it's not just here's your drink. You get, and most of the bartenders that serve absinthe, I worked at an absinthe bar for a little while, will tell you the story of it. And they'll tell you the different kinds. They'll typically bring out one or two and explain the small differences. It's a fun experience. Go and try it that way. But this is where absinthe gets crazy and where people created this false narrative around it. Um, it because it was part of the Bohemian culture, uh, just like, as we said, cannabis, um, it had this stigma surrounding it. It was always the fringe group, the outsiders that typically drank it. I mean, at the, at, at its height, at the turn of, you know, the 20th century, uh, we were looking at like Oscar Wilde drank it, Van Gogh drank it, um, a bunch of poets drank it. There's this wild painting by uh, Edgar Degas. Yeah, Edgar Degas. It's this single woman sitting at a bar drinking absinthe. And the image went like viral for its time. Everybody started screaming, like, how dare this woman drink alone? And that this woman doesn't have any morals if she's doing this. And so absinthe was the blame of that. It was absinthe made this woman act immorally. The act was drinking by herself. So and that was a painting. Yeah, that was a painting. <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, and there was a, um, like in the, around the turn of the century as well, there were headlines. Uh, one of them was like absinthe, a deadly poison that many people gulped down. Uh, you know, if anybody remembers like the four loco conversations that we had like a decade ago, oh, it was, it was those headlines. Just if you drink this, you're going to go crazy. It was reefer madness, but for the green fairy, uh, <laughs> where this gets even a little bit crazier, um, is that people did really believe that they could find the green fairy out of this. Uh, it was considered the green muse or la favorite, uh, the green fairy uh, in French. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, it was also picked up by, do you know this guy named uh, Alistair Crowley? Yeah, I've heard the name. Is he, yeah. um, is he a series of unfortunate events? No, uh, that's Lemony Snippets. Oh, Lemony oh yeah, Skip that's right. <laughs> la, 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 yeah, I'm, now I'm tongue-tied. Uh, which was a pen name. I forget the author's real name, uh, yeah. which that would be really wild if it is him, but uh, I don't believe it is. <laughs> the, uh, so he was, a, a, he was an occultist. He was a cult leader. Uh, okay. Was he in a Beatles in song? Oh, uh, the only Beatles song that I can assign to cults would be uh, uh, with the Manson. And that was... Um, I need to look this up. Uh, oh, the ladder. You could... Oh, man. I'm blanking on this song. Why am I forgetting? All right. Sorry about that, folks. Um, I'm blanking on this song name. It's going to drive me crazy. Um, but uh, he, yeah, so he built this uh, belief around. Yes. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. But yeah, yes, he was, uh, he was on the. Um... He was on the cover of one of the uh, Beatles albums, Sergeant okay. Peppers. He was oh, on the okay. Sergeant Peppers cover. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. Put up. Oh, do you have the image of it? Can you put that up? Yeah, yeah. On your. Oh, wait. Here. I think I can do it. Probably easier because I'm on my computer. You're on your phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sergeant. 
Alistair Crowley, Sergeant Peppers. There's a lot of uh, weird characters on that cover, but he's one of them. All right, let's see. He's in the top left. Oh, yep, he's here's a, a good one right here. Bald guy on the top yep. left. Yeah, so I think this is a good one for anybody. Let's see if that works. Oh, that's terrible. We got to get some IT guys in there. But that's enough of, yep. the, uh, of an example of where he is. Yeah, exactly. So he, um, he started this this cult in, uh, it was like Thelemic mysticism. Good old tongue tie there. Thelemic mysticism, uh, which was bringing in different like deities, um, talking about like the stars, everything. It's weird. It's mysticism. There's spirits around. Uh, And during his heyday, during his prime, he was labeled the wickedest man in the world. So you can imagine this guy, this cult leader, um, he claimed that absinthe allowed him to meet the green fairy, the green muse. And then this fairy was then worshipped for the enlightenment that, you know, she gave. Um, part of his, uh, I think the biggest part of his cult was the, it was the AA, the Argentium Astrum, which uh, it, it means silver star. Uh, it was... Uh, here, I'm just going to read this line because it's easier. Its members are dedicated to the advancement of humanity by perfection of the individual on every plane through a graded series of universal uh, initiations. So, ba- wow. It, yeah. I, I think of this as if anybody's seen community out there, uh, the, the uh, spiritual, weird nature that. Uh, there's a religion that's brought in there. I'm just going to end that because you're not nodding your head. So I'm going on a tangent you don't know about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I haven't seen that show. Yeah, uh, Dude, you're a Rick and Morty fan. You got to get on it. Oh, because of Dan Harmon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know, man. I should. Mm-hmm. But I just, I kind of, I can't get, I don't know, something about those shows I can't get yeah. into. Like The Office and that other one it's that's on kind of like too. Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parks oh, and Rec. it is Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're missing out. I should. Great. I should get into him. Uh, but okay, so you have this. You have this cult leader, um, and he's building this mysticism that is going against all of you know the standard teachings at the time, and he's labeled you know, the wickedest man in the world, and people are just hating on him. Then you have the Bohemians um, that are trying to like escape uh, the convention escape convention they're trying to find the ethereal trying to find out what's real what's out there and of course you have the very strict morality of the turn of the century in the 1900s um all of that combined led to wanting to demonize something you know we again not to compare it to weed again but it's very similar um we took something that was legal wasn't harming anybody and then demonized it demonized it because of one specific story there's one moment in time that the media latched onto this wild story and decided this is this is the moment society decided we are going to just shut down absence because it is terrible it's the worst thing that has ever come to mankind currently and that was a murder that took place in uh, 1905 um the uh this guy named john lafray went out and he was with his father um, 
who they went on a bender. You know, that's the easiest way to say it. They went out and they decided, all right, let's hit it hard tonight. They started out with seven glasses of wine each. Damn. So John LaFray, this dude, had seven glasses of wine. Followed that with six glasses of cognac. One coffee laced with brandy. Oh, my God. Two creme de menthe and two glasses of absinthe. He had only eaten a sandwich that day. Oh, that guy is screwed. So, yeah, he has uh, 14, 16, 18 drinks, two of them being absinthe and one of them being caffeine and booze. He goes home. He's drunk as, you know, drunk as you can be. And he asks his wife to polish his shoes. She says, no, you're drunk. I'm not polishing your shoes. So he gets the great idea to drink another brandy and coffee because that's going to mellow him out. (laughs) Asks his wife again to polish his shoes. She says, no, you're drunk. I'm not doing this. He grabs a gun, shoots his wife who is pregnant, goes into the room where his two kids are sleeping, shoots them. And then he turns the gun onto himself. This is after dragging his smallest daughter into like the barn, kills her and then turns the gun onto himself. The father, when he heard the first gunshot, ran to get the police. Turns the gun onto himself, shoots himself through the jaw, and survives. Oh my God! The next, you know, the next year they go through a um, go through the trial, and he is found guilty, but he isn't put. He's not put to death because. He had acted under the influence of alcohol. They blamed it on the alcohol for the murders, not the person. Um, So he was essentially charged with manslaughter under the influence and was given a harsh punishment, but not harsh enough, in my opinion. And then the media latched on to the story. And they latched on to the one little part of all of his drinks that he had some absinthe. And they created this, this story, this elaborate, eccentric, over-the-top, absinthe, the killer of children, absinthe, it will make your husband come home, like it, come home in a drunken rage. Absinthe changes the minds of whoever consumes it. And within five years of this story, absinthe was banned in all countries in Europe and the U.S. outside of the U.K., Sweden, and Spain. Wow. Yeah. So it was first, yeah, just immediately. So this was uh, 19, it was 1904, 1905. I'm sorry about the date, not having it. Um, By 1905, there was the first ban on absinthe. By 2010, it was banned everywhere. Uh, You mean 1910? Yeah, I'm sorry. 1910. This is, (laughs) I did bring up 2010 for a reason. Um, so the first ban was in uh, 1905. Last, the major bans happened by 1910. This idea and mythos, this creation but that the media latched onto, no facts, no evidence, just popular opinion at the time, put several distilleries out of business, cost, you know, thou- not thousands at the time, most, no, did cost thousands of people their jobs and livelihoods because absinthe was 
a main drink. You had the transporters, you had absinthe bars, you had the distilleries. It was an industry. It was the equivalent of if you had said, you know, let's get rid of brandy. Let's get rid of whiskey. Um, and there was no justification. There was nothing. Um, this ban lasted until 2007, 100 years. 100 Damn. years of people lobbying, trying to show the science behind it, trying to say this didn't make you go crazy. But because of the public truth, what the public declared or deemed or believed to be true, we latched on and we kept this idea. As a kid, or not as a kid, but you know, coming up and going into the liquor store the first time and talking about things, going over to Europe and seeing absinthe on the shelf, I thought the same thing. It was, oh man, that stuff's crazy. I can't believe you have that. I think I first tried absinthe in Amsterdam, you know, classic. Um, <laughs> this was in 2009. And of course I thought the same thing because that's what I had been told. I'd been told this false narrative that has been proven to have been false always. Uh, yeah, what are, what are you thinking? Sorry, that was a little rant. <laughs> no, that's wild. That's wild, man. I. Uh, I've got a few, a few uh, observations about it. Mm -hmm. One is one is fear, and one is uh, the the effect that fear has on groupthink. Essentially, triggering that part, the deep recess in our brain, the amygdala, to basically the tendency for a group of people to ban something without the facts, to kind mm -hmm. of completely overstretch their jurisdiction and be like this is bad this is wrong and this is terrible and it shouldn't be allowed so mm -hmm. it's banished forever I, I think it happens way too often and i think maybe we're starting to learn our lesson but i don't think we really have in any sort of in any sort of way so in that sense i think human emotions are very predictable especially with absinthe man Oh, I don't know. I just, I've only had absinthe that once and it still gives me flashbacks. It's, um, just, it's a licorice based drink. That's what it tastes like. It tastes like, by licorice. the way, by the way, not literal yeah. flashbacks. I don't mean like acid yeah. flashbacks. You I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, Hoo. have literal yeah. flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just a bad but, that, but the other thing that reminds me of is the reefer madness and the origination of uh, reefer madness started with uh, William Randolph Hearst from, um, you know, that old school media mogul, mm -hmm. uh, he, he basically started that lie in the thirties, same sort of thing, basically that said it was going to scramble your DNA and, uh, people are going to kill their, kill their family and that sort of thing. And he wanted to do that because he had a big, uh, he had a big hemp production going and they didn't want to get, get, uh, mm -hmm. them, them have a slice of the pie. So it always comes back to money and fear yeah well it comes back to that but it also it it's what i find really fascinating is the use of something until the point where it becomes bad uh, wormwood yeah. has been around for thousands of years i mean the the first time that it was written about was on papyrus in 1552 bc they were talking about wormwood and adding it into wow. drinks like ancient Greek philosophers, like, uh, uh, 
hypocrites or hypocrites. Hippocrates. I, why am I saying his name wrong? It's just, Hippocrates. Thank you. Hippocrates. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just get something stuck in your head one way. Hippocrates. Um, he recommended wormwood <laughs> for everything from like childbirth to sore joints. Um, yeah. It was something that was there. You find, you find wormwood in the book of revelations. Um, Shakespeare wow. uses it in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, there is, it was used in the public sphere for so long that it's wild that the little bit of a change into something else, wormwood had been used, but the moment it became absent, it became a problem. And well, yeah, it's attached to what is absinthe specifically? Is it vodka? Like, no, is it close absinthe, to vodka? Absinthe is a clear grain liquor that is then infused with lots and lots of herbs um, it comes out so it's like, like licorice. It's like, it's like Everclear with herbs. Yeah, not as strong um, as Everclear. Everclear is crazy, but it is very strong. So I, it's like m- moonshine with w- wormwood in it. Yeah, yeah. In, layman, in layman's in layman's, ter- in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and they would add uh, green herbs to it to give it that really green color. Yeah. Uh, it's specifically, I forget the exact ingredient. Um, but it's it's not bad it's yeah um yeah it's uh, it's essential oils from uh the herbs that they're using that make it turn green and it's just silly i think it's just silly that we took something and we always we tend to do this we do it with a lot of things and just turn it into a story. I yeah. don't blame the, you know, the Puritans or the teetotalers that said liquor's bad. I think that that dude, John Lafray went out, he got drunk. The alcohol did work. It, made <laughs> it him worked. Lose his mind. Yeah, it worked and it worked in a bad way. I mean, you know, that's why they call it fire water or the devil's water. You drink too much yeah. of it. If anybody's had some, you and I both can admit that you know drinking does lead to bad things if you overindulge absolutely that's what it did it wasn't the absinthe that did it and people that can have a drink or two relax have a good time socialize beautiful but then there are people that are gonna overindulge and they're gonna do bad things uh you know mad mothers against drunk drivers is a great idea I think that we took that way too far. Not saying don't drink and drive. That is not what I do not drink and drive, <laughs> folks. But only if it's less than a mile. <laughs> yeah. Then walk. Then walk. Yeah. Uh, but the the idea that a small a small group of people can have such a big impact on the majority and have an impact yeah. that actually harms, you know, businesses, harms people, and also creates untruths. That's the yeah. scariest part for me is the untruths. So do you think that moonshine should be legal? I think that, yes. Yeah. I mean, we have moonshine that's legal right now. You can go into the ABC store in Virginia. It's a controlled yeah. substance. It is a corn-based clear liquor. You can go in and get moonshine. Uh, you can also distill liquor at your house as long as you don't distill. Uh, as long as you don't sell it. Yeah, you don't sell it. And then you're also not distilling a volume that could be considered for distribution. If you yeah. can't, you know, if you're making 
a couple gallons a month of moonshine, you're definitely not drinking a couple gallons a month of moonshine. And yeah. so it is for your own Ugh. consumption. I, I 100% Interesting. think it should be legal. I think that it's more important to allow things to be legal in order to control them. My uh, wife's going through a hazardous control seminar this week for uh, hazmat suits. And one of the videos that she watched yesterday was about uh, the prevalence of fentanyl in mm. narcotics currently. And the, they actually had to watch the body cam of the Virginia officer who died because he came into contact with fentanyl in what he thought was I don't know what the drug was that he thought it was, but he did not think that it was laced with fentanyl. In Virginia, there's been hundreds of deaths due to fentanyl. Wait, so he was a he was a cop that a cop. did the drug? No, he he was a cop that went into a hotel room. The people in the hotel room had flushed the drugs down the toilet, but because they had flushed it, it created the um, vapors in the air that held the fentanyl. The fentanyl was throughout the room, specifically on a, a towel that was in the bathroom. He walked in because somebody claimed that they were going to puke. So he walked in and grabbed the towel to hand to them. He touched it. He then touched his nose. He oh then my went God. out and this other officer was thinking that he was having problems. So then he went out wearing the same gloves, accidentally touched that officer. That officer got really sick. And then he had those still gloves on and he died. Just wow. From so that. it had- Absorbed through his skin. No, through his nostril. It's because there was such a little bit on his gloves. He couldn't see it, but it's... But what about the other cop that got sick? Uh, he was just very sick, I believe. I, uh, but how did it... Yesterday. But the guy didn't... The other cop didn't stick his finger up the other cop's nose. No, no. It how did that cop, cop get sick? He just... By being in the room. So oh, the cop wow. felt the effects just by being in the room was like, I feel nauseous. I don't feel right. So they walked out of the room. He went to help him and had used the gloves. He hadn't changed his gloves. So that cop got even more sick. And then he touched his face. Oh, okay. all went up and he died because of that. So I, they both breathed in the fumes. And then the one guy had the extra bad because it was wearing the gloves and yeah. got it in his nose. Mm-hmm. That's insane, man. Yeah. That really that's is a terrible. legal drug. Is it legal? Pharmaceutical companies produce fentanyl. You can be given fentanyl in like micro doses in order to do something. I'm not oh, sure I've heard it's, about yeah. uh, fent- fentanyl patches. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like the strongest. I think it's the strongest drug known to man at the yeah. moment as ter- for in terms of size. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I think like a penny's worth can kill like a a football stadium of people or something like that, but it's insane. It's absolutely insane. I think there's a fine balance in regulation. So Mm -hmm. people are really heavy handed and they have been for a long time because they bring in emotions into it and they bring in religion and all these things and, and talk about how it's sinful to be addicted to things or how it's a personal character flaw. Whereas I think in the future, hopefully It'll be more data driven and you can kind of get the medical data needed and to see how it should be handled and see what should actually be done. Cause some things do need to be, I don't want to say banned. Well, <laughs> it's weird. I think There's different schools of thought. There's different schools of thought. Like, uh, 
Portugal, for example, every there's no illegal drugs over there and they have a much lower crime rate and drug overdose rate and addiction rate. So there's a lot of different things to be handled. There's also different genetic preoccup like genetic variabilities, certain uh, DNA mutations. I, I was reading this yesterday. Certain DNA mutations make some people an angry drunk, whereas other people get happy when they drink. And then certain DNA mutations make some people instantly addicted to things, whereas other people can do it two or three times and be like, oh, that's cool. So as science progresses, I hope that we're more smart about stuff like that. But as far as absinthe goes, eh, I don't think alcohol is healthy at all. I think it's actually uh, kind of unhealthy, but that's just my opinion. Um, well, that's not my opinion. That's, ev that's everybody's opinion. I mean, it's um, science if you abuse alcohol. Yeah, you know, you can... yeah, exactly. Exactly. But people tend to bring in their emotions into it, man, and really, and really say, really kind of say that's immoral. Where there's nothing immoral about a substance, you know, it's mm -hmm. how people use them. Yeah. You know, a, a tree branch can be immoral if you beat someone over the head with it, or, you or know, hang somebody from it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so it's very interesting and very, very funny because I was under the assumption that absinthe was bad until you until you mm -hmm. told me what your topic was going to be. <laughs> and I was like, really? Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I just... That the crazy aspect is that it's an untruth and that it has for so long and still to this day has that stereotype around it. Yeah. I think that substances need to be controlled because we do have the data and we do have the science to say, all right, this much is good, this or this much is okay, this much is good, this much is bad. I also think that there needs to be the access to things for guys and gals that are addicted. You know, we have the um, and to focus more on rehab than punishment, which that's a whole different topic, how, you know, we focus in the U S particularly on the punishment of an individual rather than the rehabilitation of people. Absolutely. And until that mindset changes, I don't think we're ever going to have the ability for a true conversation about addiction and about the abuse and use of substances. Yeah. We, you know, cheese gives off the same triggers as cocaine. It, it gives off yeah. the, I want more, I want more. Uh, we're predisposed to want to eat fats. That's how we got big and our brain grew, why we want proteins. Um, we have these biological triggers that were put into us to want more because for thousands of years, they helped us. Uh, but now we're at a point where you know, modern, if you're living in the modern world, you can get almost anything and you can overindulge in almost everything. Absolutely. And that's the conversation I think that's more important. Not the let's blame a substance. Let's have the conversation that fixes the problem. And the problem is our desires for way too much. Just like going way back to the beginning of this, why we have a thousand different streaming platforms. Yeah. The root, the root cause, the root cause. It really is all about getting, digging down to the root of, of things and figuring out human behavior as 
as a way of kind of mapping that out. I think that's not impossible. I think it's kind of scary, but not impossible to map out data points of human behavior and put that into an algorithm and maybe not override free will, but in some sense, kind of figure out a plan and a strategy to have us healthier moving forward because at the moment we're in a bottleneck. It was the glory days when we were hunter gatherers, you know, everyone was ripped. Everyone had a super healthy brain and you essentially got traumatized a lot and maybe you didn't live very long, but you forgot the trauma because you were so healthy. It was able to, it was able to flow out of you. And it was like, PTSD didn't exist. Well, you also so, didn't have the time to sit around and to turtleize things because the trauma of yesterday. All right, yesterday yeah. I had to go fight off this saber-toothed tiger. Now today I got to yeah. go hunt down this woolly mammoth. I can't remember about this tiger. I don't got time for that. Exactly. And hunter-gatherers <laughs> actually lived, you know, in between. I wouldn't say that cavemen necessarily had the best lives either. But in between for thousands of years was hunter-gatherers who worked probably like five hours a week at, at max just hunting and eating and the rest was like leisure time. So I think that's a forgotten point that people don't remember is the massive implications that stress has on addiction. Mm -hmm. People, people really think of stress or de-stressing as some sort of like, Oh, I'll handle that afterwards. But that's mm -hmm. like one of the first things that needs to happen is you need to find out, Everyone's got the hold on tight muscle. They, their hold on tight muscle is like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're like, I got to hold on to it. It's mine. But no one has the release muscle, the like letting mm -hmm. go muscle. You know, the only common release that most people do somewhat regularly or they're used to is like orgasms, but other than orgasms and pooping basically. But other than that, we're very, unskilled and untrained and just being like, you know what? I'm going to let this go. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to let it go. And when people get into a group like that, where they're all like, like that, then they're like, ban the absinthe because it makes me feel bad about myself. And I'm scared, you know, it mm -hmm. might not be logical, but I think that's what happens. Yeah. It's, I think there is a, uh reasoning behind it but the reasoning isn't it isn't the application of logic yeah. Uh, yeah and just the being able to release i think that that goes into so much more that's the ability to to forgive to let go yeah. of things as we're let talking it go. about like so the painting behind me is from from the time of the secret war that's why we brought up that conversation earlier but you know there's so many countries that like the ability to forgive and just to forget. Uh, Vanuatu is named the happiest country in the world. Nobody holds a grudge really at all, ever. Like yeah. you can go out and kill somebody and two years later, it's like, all right, like you're cool. You did that like <laughs> two years ago, it's fine. And I think <laughs> maybe that's needs to not be a good. little bit more accountability, <laughs> but everybody's just peaceful everybody's yeah. just not necessarily peaceful there are a lot of underlining issues there are a lot of problems that are happening i'm not going to say it's a perfect place but just the ability to just let something go is does allow for you know 
a little bit more peace than I think we have. Uh, and we need to figure that out. It's even on a microscope. Yeah. Even on a microscopic level. So we need to let go on a macro level, like let go of thoughts and ideas that don't help us. But also on a microscopic level, certain foods that we eat are traumatizing our systems. So our systems kind of like hold on to like they they like clench up and like go into like like survival mode. Mm -hmm. And those and those microscopic systems and those muscles stay tense for years. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people that talk about like not realizing that their muscle wasn't supposed to be like a brick, you know, mm -hmm. and and how like really doing different things to learn how to how to release to kind of get get back into the flow I think will serve us good moving forward as far as like the insanity of a crowd the, the crowds are just dangerous places to be a lot of the time like the opinion of a crowd is an extremely extremely dangerous thing to hold just to blindly follow mm -hmm. so I hope my hope is that we can somehow, work that into our education system or work that into our everyday lives. So we don't have things like absinthe or reefer madness or, or any of these other, like a drug war, mm -hmm. these sort of things. Yeah. And the, what I would hope that that would lead to even further, not just for the individual individual, but for society and for, know the existence of truth is that truth is allowed to permeate a little bit more that we don't have the extremists and alarmists that are trying to latch on to the fear that we've been talking about that we don't have what happened last week because people are scared for something that they don't understand um, yeah and they're angry about something that they don't understand it's last week was terrible I completely hold everybody that was there responsible. They were grownups that made a decision, but that decision was brought about by a lot of other things. They basically had all of the drinks that John LaFrey did in a different form that, yeah. la uh, that created this hysteria and this reaction. Still though, they chose to have those drinks. They chose to be part of that narrative that then led to that conclusion. And everybody needs to be accountable for it. Like we brought about, or we talked about last week, we all need to be accountable for it. Like it wasn't what happened last week is all of our fault in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's really kind of alarming when you see a massive group of people doing something that with such conviction and such emotional surety to themselves and confidence in a way that you just have to take a step back and say, okay, um, yes, president T word is not a good guy, or you might disagree, but we can all agree that president T word is definitely way out there. Yeah. And, but to just be like, T-word T is bad and so are his followers. There we go. Solve the case. On to yeah. the next thing.
is I, I think that's intellectual laziness. And mm-hmm. I think it's really incumbent upon all of us to really kind of look at the, the roots of all this. Uh, lots of roots. Trickle down mm-hmm. economics is a root. Uh, Jim Crow is a root to this. Uh, a million different roots. But it's important. And, you know, I don't know how you do this at scale. I really don't. I really don't know how you implement this at any sort of scale that would be approved by parents. I I think maybe a critical thinking class would be good. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe uh, teaching kids how to have quiet time or how to meditate, how to Mm -hmm. breathe is good. I think whatever you do, I think it has to start early. So as far as policies go that would help that, I think universal preschool is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Something to get kids out of a a weird situation for at least a few hours a day to kind of like nourish their brains. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, any policy that looks to have a better future and unravel this should look towards the preschoolers. I think the preschool, the preschoolers will save us. I think. Preschoolers will save us and the focus on rehabilitation of adults. Yeah. Stop just punishing people for, you know, mistakes that were made. We all are fallen. We all are broken. Um, We all make mistakes and some of us get away with them and some of us get caught and there, there needs to be, we need to reflect that more, but I don't think there's going to be policies that do it. Uh, I think that it's going to come down to us as individuals, conversations like this, that allow people to learn that they can sort of think for themselves, uh, that they can forgive people for the mistakes that they've made and that we are capable of helping out each other when we can and at times. Um, Because the government, we both can say this, the government sucks. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, if you're out there thinking there needs to be this policy there doesn't need to be a policy. There's, there's needs to be a paradigm shift and that's not going to happen with the government. It's... Absolutely not because it'll, <laughs> they will, they will destroy themselves. The government survives off of I'm a Democrat and I'm a Republican and I don't like you. Well, and they also survive off of power. We saw that in the, Absolutely. the abuse of executive orders over this past year with the pandemic, these orders weren't to help, people they were to help an industry oh totally they bailing out industries goes back to 2008 i reminded when you said um some people get caught and some people get away with it i'm reminded of do not ask for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee Mm -hmm. there we Uh, go that right at the beginning of that book Uh pièce de raisons everyone gets their comeuppance Every it happens to everyone. Truth sticks in people like a physical thing. Truth is actually has a physical signature to it. So when you're lying and when you're unsure of yourself, your brain waves are vibrating and you're emitting a different megahertz. So I really think that uh, we just gotta we gotta save ourselves. Washington's not gonna save us. Yeah. yeah, and that's I mean I think that's where we started this podcast out for was just conversation for us to help each other find a little bit more truth and for anybody out there listening you know we don't claim to know what the heck we're talking about at all 
but we're just trying to have that conversation, you know. Truth and good times. Yeah. Uh, but, dude, I think that's a good place to just wrap it up. Uh, it was great chatting again. Wrap it up. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, folks, I think we figured out our name. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll tell you on the about... next podcast. <laughs> God, I, got, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, guys. Love everybody. Love you, brother. Peace. Love y'all. Peace.